Hello, my name is Andrew Gary and welcome to Seismic Sound Off, in-depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Priyak Jaswal, Associate Professor at Oklahoma State University. Dr. Jaswal discusses the recent SEG event, Forum on Infrastructure, and how geophysics can play a role in this critical area. Dr. Jaswal discusses the potential threats to infrastructure from low-level earthquakes, how citizens and public officials can monitor and address the impact, and how geophysicists can contribute to the safety of infrastructure. Our conversation next. Why was the Forum on Infrastructure organized? So this forum has a very interesting history. After the September 2016 Pawnee earthquake, a group of us were trying to organize a seismic survey in that area. And for that purpose, we were visiting many people, and one of them happened to be uh, the Pawnee mayor. And when we were in his office, we were talking about the seismic survey, and inadvertently, his concerns about the buildings and infrastructure came up. And during the conversation, he mentioned something that was quite interesting to me. He said that, you know, he's glad that the damage from this earthquake was not widespread, but he was concerned that many buildings may or may not survive the next earthquake, or if there is a way to measure how many of his buildings will be able to survive. Now, his concerns were very genuine. I mean, it's a typical concern that any homeowner would have, and we did not have an answer for him. And we could not answer this simply because we did not have any data to go by. But his question planted a seed in my mind. The more I thought about it, the more it occurred to me that buildings are designed to withstand a certain magnitude of earthquake. What happens if the building did not fall in that earthquake? but the building is not the same building after the earthquake. Will it be able to withstand the next one? Now, as it happens that I was not alone in having such thoughts. There were many people, many groups in this country that were having these conversations more actively. So the forum came about and it was a way to bring such groups together so that they can talk and discuss their ideas freely. Now, in particular, I would like to acknowledge Laurie Whitesell from Society of Exploration Geophysicists and Dwayne Butler for their efforts in putting this forum together. Without their participation and their motivation, this forum would not have been possible. Now, one more thing that although the forum was set in the backdrop of Oklahoma's low-level seismicity, the need for continually monitoring the structural health of country's various infrastructure stands on its own merits, regardless of the nature of the hazard. So whether it is from low-level shaking or clay swelling or substance or anything else. What are the potential threats to infrastructure from these low-level earthquakes? Are these low-level shakings necessarily damaging? A candid response to both these questions is that we do not know. Low-level earthquakes have the potential to damage But whether they actually damage or not, it's not clear. I'm saying this not because we cannot solve complex problems or because we cannot monitor the infrastructure. It's not, you know, it's not these reasons because of which I'm saying that we do not know. But the problem in itself is is very complex and multifaceted. Let me explain this some more. 
the the target that we are trying to chase and the process both are quite complex so think for about the target for example the complexity arises simply because my house is not the same as my neighbor's house so even if this low level shaking ends up damaging my house it's very difficult to make a generalized statement about the nature of low level shaking whether it is damaging in general or not just based on one or two houses at the same time it cannot be ignored so to understand the global nature of low level shaking related hazard damage has to be evaluated in the context of individual structures first then with respect to a neighborhood then with respect to a city then a county and so on and so forth so this is sort of a more uh, i would say coordinative effort that needs to be made to understand the damaging nature of the low level shaking next let's talk about the process so the damage from low level shaking if it is not instantaneous that means all of a sudden after a little bit of ground shaking if my house does not fall down then it may be cumulative that means there are some not so obvious damages that has happened in the structure but i am just not able to perceive it right away and these damages may accumulate over time however because it has not obviously followed a particular shaking event it becomes very difficult to separate it from the natural background processes so for example if these low level shaking did not happen then would the structure on its own not fail in the same way or will it fail in the same way in a different mode these are very difficult to quantify so what happens due to low level shaking versus everything else it's at this stage it's very difficult to separate so it's very difficult to answer your your questions uh, with certainty This kind of leads me to the next question of, of how is infrastructure impacted differently than with this cumulative versus instantaneous damage? Well, I mean this was one of the topics of discussion in the forum because, you know, everybody was trying to gauge as to what, you know, how do you quantify damage? So, look, we understand that all structures incur fatigue over time. That's just a natural thing in the life cycle of a structure. You put a structure, it keeps fighting the elements of nature and then, you know, gradually it wears down. So, cumulative damage is the degradation of a structure slowly over time. It's not obvious and it does not become obvious from day-to-day observation. However, if you wanted to gauge cumulative damage, maybe year to year or a decade to decade observation can tell whether a structure is accumulating damage accumulating wear and tear over time instantaneous damage is immediate degradation so let's say ground shakes and a building falls that's it or a crack develops or the you know the roof slides or something like that then it's instantaneous damage now instantaneous damage becomes clear from day to day or even hour to hour observation depending on you know how your how your time sampling is but if the natural hazards are repetitive then the rate at which fatigue accumulates increases and see that increase so the increase in cumulative damage increases the risk of instantaneous damage so they are both intertwined they are both linked together 
why is geophysics and near surface geophysics specifically positioned to help monitor and improve infrastructure? Well, this question needs to be answered at, at many levels. First, let's talk about geophysics itself. So think of geophysics in broader terms. Geophysics is the science of studying Earth system response. So you can just think of geophysics as science of studying a system response. And in this case, the system happens to be the Earth system. Now, with seismic methods, for example, we can understand how the Earth system responds to stress. From electrical methods, we can understand how the Earth system responds to an electrical impulse and so on and so forth. Now, if we think of buildings or structures as a system, an earthquake as a stress-triggering mechanism, then geophysics is naturally suited for studying the response of the system. The principles of signal acquisition, sampling, and analysis will remain the same. So regardless of what your target is, whether it is, you know, the earth system, the soil, or um, I would say the rocks themselves, or something that has been established on top of it, the acquisition and sampling and analysis mostly remains the same. It is the modeling that changes depending on the target. So now, because you asked specifically about near surface, Let's, ex let's uh, extend this, uh, this thought to near-surface geophysics and say that this particular subfield of geophysics studies the system response of the near-surface to external stress, electrical impulse, and so on and so forth. And it is important to remind ourselves why it is necessary to separate the near-surface from deep earth. See, in terms of partial saturation, biotic processes, and consolidation state, the near-surface material is very different than the deep earth. And that's one reason why, you know, first of all, the near-surface needs to be separated from deep earth. Now, because of these processes that are uniquely operative in near-surface, the response of near-surface is also different than the deep earth to the same kind of excitation. So, for example, the stress excitation or the electrical excitation, the response of near-surface is different because the processes that are happening in the near surface are different. So one can think of near surface as a very dynamic system that changes at a seasonal scale. Now, think of infrastructure. The near surface is actually joined to the hip to infrastructure. Infrastructure is something that is not supposed to change over its life cycle. I mean, it's not supposed to change. It does change because you know it's a natural system as well but it is not supposed to change. So you are trying to join two things, one that is dynamic by very nature and one that is supposed to be static. These two are coupled because the foundation of infrastructure is in the near surface. So in order to understand the response of an infrastructure, the effects of the near surface has to be taken out of any signal that is acquired in, these, in the infrastructure monitoring. And, you know, when it comes to extracting the effect of near-surface um, near surface geology or near-surface stratigraphy, who do you think can do a better job than near-surface geophysics? The geophysics, and in particular near-surface geophysics, is, is very well positioned, almost ideally suited, to help in improving and monitoring infrastructure.
That was one of the better explanations I've heard of both geophysics and near surface. So I, I appreciate that. Now, looking ahead, you know, how would you like the near surface to position itself to address the impact of the frequent low-level earthquakes seen in the central United States, for example? Well, in my opinion, first, a more holistic view of infrastructure needs to be adopted. A building should not be seen as a standalone object, but rather a part of a bigger system. The material which makes up the ground on which it is standing should be considered as a part of the building itself when its response to a deep earthquake is being studied. By deep earthquake, I just mean earthquake that's happening you know, at, at some distance away from it. Say, for example, because of that earthquake or you know, ground shaking, say that the building got damaged. It's possible that the building was not damaged because the building was weak. There was nothing wrong with the infrastructure. But because the conditions around the foundation changed over time, making the building seem like it was improperly erected. Now, let me give you an example. See, in 2015, there was an article published about the sheer strength of near seafloor marine mud. So now we are moving from land to, to marine. So this was an article on the sheer strength of near seafloor marine mud in geophysical research letters. The authors, Sawyer and DeVoe, found that the shear strength of the marine mud along active margins, the active margins are zones that have more earthquake because they are closer to actively deforming plate boundaries. They found that the strength of the marine mud around active margin is, is stronger. So there's, this marine mud is stiffer along active margin compared to passive margins where not much activity is happening. The author speculated that continual shaking of the mud allowed it to settle better. So to understand this, think of filling an empty jar with salt or sugar. When you are shaking the jar, as you are pouring in the salt or sugar, you are able to accommodate more mass. So this becomes possible because the shaking actually improves the packing. Now you can extend this idea even on land, and, and, and think of a place like Oklahoma that has a pretty good water table. So if you are shaking saturated soil over and over again, it's possible, it still remains to be tested, but it is possible that the shear strength of the near surface sediments is changing. Now, when the building was erected, it's possible that it was erected in a completely different setting then what the setting is, the near surface setting is 10 years later. So to, you know, just to go back to your question, the near surface, the study of the near surface is, is very important. And there is a significance of repeated geotechnical surveys that cannot be overlooked given where we are in our state at, in, in present time. You had mentioned at the onset that uh, a mayor had come to you about his concerns over what to do. If another mayor is listening to this podcast and her city is impacted by these type of earthquakes, what steps can they take to begin monitoring the impact and seek ways to possibly address the damages? Well, your question has two parts. And as a geophysicist, uh, why don't I just try to answer your first part? Because I have more confidence in that. So let me start by saying that monitoring is a long-term process. And, and extending from, the, from your previous question, let me also say 
that the near surface community uh, you know can really appreciate the the value of constantly changing soil condition and so the first thing that the mayor, that the mayor needs to do is is really build a team build a team of people who can understand who can understand the impact the nature of the impact from a from a broader perspective so i you know i understand that the uh, the target may just be infrastructure but there is lot more behind it so that's the first part the first part is that the mayor needs to put together a team comprising engineers and geoscientists and people who can do the outreach and education and so on and so forth and and we can go into all these uh, later in the interview the second part is that the target needs to be identified now the target in this case is is completely different the reason is because uh, or let me say that that there are various kinds of targets in a city monitoring a large lifeline infrastructure is not the same as monitoring houses that were built before the you know the housing code was set in so the kind of tools and methods that will be required to monitor lifeline infrastructures would be different than what it would be required to monitor houses roads pavements and so on and so forth so to understand you know how to even begin addressing the impact first we need a team second we need a target now it is understood that you know all these targets whatever targets we talk about they are all high priority they are all important they all impact human life but with the resources that the city has got some extreme prioritization may be needed and that that will be completely up to the mayor but the point is once we have identified what is our target we can form uh, a more efficient um, we can form a more focused and efficient team and we can also choose the right tools and techniques to monitor that target how can geophysicists communicate better the power and proper role of geophysics in accessing the existing infrastructure and providing for monitoring and condition assessment of these new and possibly rehabilitated infrastructure this is a powerful question but i will say that the one one sentence response is uh, through education and awareness that's that's the only way of communicating see not many communities are aware of the insight and the knowledge base that geophysicists can bring to the table and you know partly it's because of us it's because the geophysics community has failed in reaching out and and letting people know the the insights that we can offer the the knowledge the education that that we possess and how well we can work with other communities to to solve um, basic problems that you know of hazard and livability and sustainability and so on and so forth so in my opinion to better communicate the power and proper role of geophysics we have to start doing focused and organized outreach it's a good segue into this in this next question state and federal dam inspections are frequently visual while this type of inspection could identify a very evident structural problem 
a visual inspection may miss important key indicators. How can geophysics help with a cost-effective approach to safely identifying these structural issues? Right. Another good question. And, you know, you have hit the nail on the head by implying that geophysics can, can reveal information that is not obvious. So, I mean, this word obvious has a lot of weightage and also has a lot of meaning. Sometimes what we see, what we can see with our eyes is something, you know, we tend to take for granted or as truths, but we, most of the things that are happening are actually happening without, behind the walls. So take, you know, let's say the dams that, that you have brought up. So there is a need to continually monitor dam sites and, and many other sites. Why just dam sites? Like, for example, the oil storage tank. I mean, there is, a, there is certainly a need to monitor them continuously and make sure, you know, they get addressed to whenever, whenever it's needed. See, because most of the policymakers are not aware of the power of geophysics, geophysical surveys, and I should not say policymakers, but let's say decision makers, they are not aware of the power of geophysics. The geophysical surveys are often seen as an item of luxury. So in early days, it used to be that commissioning of geophysical surveys would depend on the amount of surplus money that was available. And very often, you know, by cutting multiple cores or cutting multiple um, cores at regular interval was the way to go about in geotechnical engineering. Now, as our modeling methods, algorithms have become more sophisticated, sophisticated, I mean, when I say ours, I mean the geophysics algorithms and, and modeling methods have become more sophisticated. And we have been able to extract more and more information from the same data set. This perception is going away. The idea that geophysics can bring valuable information on table is becoming more and more uh, accepted. So I would say that geophysics is generally seen as a high-risk, high-reward investment in, in many activities, even to date. That perception needs to be changed. It is changing, but, but that change needs to, to happen more rapidly. Geophysics needs to be advertised as a low-cost, efficient monitoring tool, and it should become integral part of any planning process. And this, how all these things will happen? I mean, let's relate to your previous question. Through outreach, I mean, we have to take the responsibility of going out there and letting other communities know of the value that we can bring in solving their problems. Uh, speaking of problems, uh, state and federal laws impact infrastructure in a variety of ways as well. For example, in Oklahoma, infrastructure is designed for tornadoes, so tornado insurance is available, but infrastructure is not designed for earthquakes, and earthquake insurance is generally not available. And as you said earlier, it may not be that the infrastructure wasn't designed for it, it's just over time, things have changed. How could policymakers just listening to you now start taking proactive steps in addressing this current situation? Now, you are absolutely right, Andrew, that this has given rise to a series of very unfortunate events in our state. Because this clarity doesn't exist, no one really knows what to do. I personally know of several instances where the homeowner's claims have been very poorly handled. 
but you know i will not put the blame on any party i would not say that this side is at fault or that side is at fault because there is i mean there is a lack of data i mean there are no hard data sets to to go off of so think about this for example a house that is weakened by earthquake can suffer instantaneous damage from high winds similarly a house that has been weakened by high winds over a period of time can suffer visible damage from low level shaking now these are two different kinds of hazards that are affecting the same structure but how they are affecting is something that's not known at this stage we are all living in speculation well in any case at this stage i would say it's very difficult to prove or disprove that that is that the said damage has happened definitely i mean only and only due to this shaking right it's it's very difficult to uh, make that case and the biggest problem is the lack of concrete data that can show how the condition of the house changed before and after that ground shaking you know whichever incident you want want to point to our state is is a very unique state in in many regards see for example except for tsunamis you can envision almost all kinds of natural hazards happening in one part of the state or another so our state in particular needs an affordable monitoring system that every household can install and that can provide reliable data to back individual homeowners claims now that claim may be regards to anything you know any kind of natural hazard but there has to be a system that provides hard data for the homeowners and the insurance company both of them to go by and i do not think the policy makers can do much at this stage see this this whole issue of being able to generate data it falls in the court of academics and industry so in my opinion i think it's it's about time when industry and academia these two communities start coming together talking together and trying to find viable solutions you know trying to find some innovative methods of providing these things to homeowners now once these things are out in the market once you know you have such a um, application out in the market then the policy makers can make sure that they they are used to their fullest you know speaking of collaboration how can engineers and geoscientists join hands to address this particular challenge let me say that they eventually will have to join hands to address this challenge but a couple of things need to happen before that say for example first the need has to be identified now infrastructure is a need that is upcoming and it's being viewed as something that cannot be addressed by a single community on its own so the need has to be identified for example why can't engineers solve the infrastructure monitoring problem all by themselves that question has to be put out there and has to be addressed by multiple communities objectively now to a small group of geoscientists and engineers uh, including the organizers and participants of this forum this need is very clear it's very obvious that the two communities need to talk but the understanding has to be more widespread i would say 
Then the next thing is to collaborate, we need to learn to speak each other's language. Consider this age-old joke, for example. You ask 2 plus 2 to engineers, and they say 4. You ask 2 plus 2 to geophysicists, and they say 4 plus minus 50%. The idea that a problem cannot have a unique solution is very well accepted in geophysics, but not so much in engineering. So communication barriers like these need to be overcome. Third, the nexus has to happen at the level of codes and algorithms. Take, for example, the problem of structural dynamic modeling. The use of seismometers in simulating the response of a building to large ground shaking has already been done and shown and so on and so forth. But using low-level shaking, the kind of shaking that we are feeling in Oklahoma presently, using low-level shaking to predict the high-level shaking response, that has a long way to go. And that's where engineers and geophysicists can easily collaborate. And they can start, like we will probably do soon, they can start by publishing in each other's journals. That's the best way to get the scientific attention of the two communities. So let me you know, add on to that and, and inform your audience about some of the initial steps we have taken here at OSU. So my team comprises engineering faculty members and people from other disciplines as well. And we were recently awarded a grant from National Science Foundation to use rotational phones to monitor response of buildings to low-level shaking. The rotational phones have been around for decades. The geophysicists have known about these phones for last, you know, several decades. And the idea that the rotational phones can be used to improve reservoir modeling has, has also been around, tested, and been proved. But no one sufficiently has tested whether rotational phones can improve structural dynamic modeling. So this kind of cross-collaboration, you know, cross-disciplinary collaborations they really attract attention of policymakers, of funding agencies, of people in general. And so now we are trying to see how to use the high-end geophysical acquisition and sampling method to solve an engineering problem. And what I'm doing is no different than what my community has been doing for ages. When my com- by my community, I mean geophysics. I mean, geophysicists, in my opinion, have been one of the most collaborative communities in the field of physical sciences. But it's just that the target and the clientele changes from one kind of collaboration to another. And that has to be identified and addressed. Congratulations on the grant. You know, speaking of, of other government institutions, how would you like to see someone like the U.S. Geological Survey support this research and the work that you're doing? Well, the USGS has been doing a lot on their own, and we truly value their efforts. When we say we, um, I mean the geophysics and the engineering community. These, these communities really value what USGS has been doing. You know, for example, USGS has been preparing an earthquake hazard map of Oklahoma for the last few years. That map has been of great value in organizing research efforts all over the country, not just in Oklahoma, but all over. USGS has also been a pioneer in using seismic data for structural dynamic modeling. I mean, they have these 
nice and beautiful simulations for their buildings in in Anchorage, and that has inspired many lines of thought and many lines of research. So we, you know, we certainly hope USGS continues to work that way, continues to promote these kinds of cross-disciplinary science. We also hope, in particular, we also hope that USGS continues to update the earthquake hazard map of Oklahoma. See, a lot of people think that the problem of shaking might have gone away, but you know, with the oil prices coming back up, we do not know whether it has really gone away or not. I mean, we will find out in near future. But USGS uh, can play a very vital role in continuing to update those um, sort of the earthquake hazard maps so that the general public gets a full picture of how things are progressing in Oklahoma. USGS can also facilitate these kinds of conversations, these kinds of forums, and uh, you know, try to organize meeting or sponsor workshops if they can um, between engineering and geophysical communities to identify specific targets and you know develop methods to to address those kinds of targets. What should I have asked you that I did not? Now that is probably the most difficult question. So this forum had active participation from ASCE, the American Society of Civil Engineers, and SCG, Society of Exploration Geophysics. And the professional societies are actually very well suited to carry the flame forward. But the simple reason is that their outreach is extensive compared to many I would say federally funded or state funded units that are, I would say the research units, the state funded and and government funded research units. So the professional societies can play a very vital role. The professional societies, they attract and they appeal to a broader spectrum of the society and they can help facilitate the discussion from many different aspects. Through professional societies, the communities can reach out to many paths of, or I would say many group of, of scientists that are completely unaware. They, they have the strength to contribute, that, but they are completely unaware of such a discussion going on. Professional society magazines are a wonderful tool to spread the word, to let you know everyone know that such a, a conversation has started. and you know, every individual who thinks they can play a role is welcome to come on board and, and help guide the discussion. The, the professional society meetings are a wonderful venue. So I think the professional societies can help in networking. And networking and facilitating dialogue at this stage, I think, is critical to making sure that the momentum is that you know that the conversation gathers momentum and continues the way it is supposed to continue. Well, that is a a good response. This has been one of the most insightful and just understanding and clear conversations I've had in this podcast. And I appreciate you for following what you're talking about and and using outreach in this way to explain to our audience. And and thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. 
at seg.org slash podcast, you will find the show notes and more information on the SEG Near Surface Geophysics Technical section. Follow Seismic Sound off at seg.org slash podcast to hear new episodes or subscribe for free on your phone. Seismic Sound Off is sponsored by the SEG Wiki, the place to find hundreds of biographies of geoscientists, open access tutorials, and ongoing translations of SEG's best-selling book, Robert Sherris Encyclopedic Dictionary. Type wiki.seg.org into your browser to visit the world's first online geophysics encyclopedia. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Crockett, Allie McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Special thanks to Lori Weitzel for organizing and contributing to this episode. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.